Blog Talk Radio. This is Terry Garber, and you are buzzing with Brandon. Hey, everybody. This is Beth Maitland. You probably know me best from my role as Tracy Abbott on The Young and the Restless, and I'm talking to you about Brandon's buzz. Come on. You've got to find him. This is Taylor Dane, and you are listening to the one and only Brandon Buzz. Hi. This is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. So if you feel that you just can't take it, and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it, baby, when you live on a street of dreams. Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon's Buzz, the place to be. This is Pamela K. Long, and I am buzzing with Brandon, and I can tell you that it's some of the most fun that you'll have. So you need to tune this in. This is Linda Danell. I'm on Brandon's Buzz. And I have to tell you, what a fun hour I just had. Ah, oh, this is a great kid with a wonderful heart and soul. You listen every day. I know I will. Hey, this is Nicholas Rodriguez. You are listening to Brandon's Buzz. Be prepared to laugh. You're going to have a good time. This is Maya Bialik, and you are lucky enough to be listening to Brandon's Buzz. guys, welcome to Brandon's Buzz. I am Brandon. It's Tuesday, December 15th, 2009, 10 p.m. in the east, 7 p.m. out west, 9 p.m. here in Texas, and I have a great guy on the phone today, a great guest, and I just want to dive right in. You know, he, he first came to our attention via an unforgettable 1991 radio smash called I Wonder Why, a song which immediately established the artistic hallmarks, the deep, sultry voice, the strong, probing lyrics, that irresistibly sexy saxophone that continue to make his music stand out from the pack to this very day. He has turned his attention toward the jazz scene in this decade, and he's just released his latest album, the terrific Lost in Dreams, and he's come by the buzz today to discuss his latest project and his extraordinary career. What a great thrill and an extraordinary honor to welcome to my show today the fantastic, the fiercely talented Curtis Sigers. Thanks, Brandon. I'm blushing. <laughs> How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. Nice to talk to you. You know, it, I've been a big fan for a long time, and this is really a great honor. I, I'm, I'm really thrilled about about speaking with you today. Great, great, thank you. So, uh, you know, I usually start my shows in a different way, but I just have to say I would never have pegged you for an Idaho man at all, and I want to know how this came to be. <laughs> well, I grew up in Idaho. I, I grew up in Boise, Idaho, and uh, when I was 21, I moved out to New York City, and I lived uh-huh. there for for 16 years and uh you, you've uh, got that you've got that that slick urbane kind of thing going on and and i would just, i would take you for a new york man in a second well well thanks yeah well new, new york definitely <laughs> new york definitely suited me but uh i uh in addition to you know getting a record deal and and sort of starting a, a recording career in new york i also met my wife and uh, we had a child in 2000 and uh wow. that uh combined with uh September 11th in 2001, Absolutely. sort of just to made us realize maybe it was time uh, time to uh, get back uh, to you know someplace a little simpler and uh, just a lot easier to raise a kid in a place where you can ski and ride bikes and go to the park. You know, New York is a is a tough place to raise a child unless you're really really rich. And uh, so uh, this is I ended back up at home and 
my daughter's grandma lives here, and uh, it's a nice place okay. to live. And I can still, you know, catch a plane and go to London or go to Paris or sure. <laughs> and do what I do. Were you in the city on 9/11? No, I uh, I was actually in uh, in Scotland. I was uh, the be- I was beginning a, a tour, uh, and uh, luckily my 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 wife and and our daughter were in Idaho at the time, uh, up in the mountains. So they were they were well protected, but. Uh, um, but I still lived in New York, and that uh, it was, you know, was, uh, profoundly affecting. Uh, you Absolutely. Know, it really, uh, was I mean, for everybody, obviously. But uh, being a, a New Yorker at the time, you know, it was just it really it 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 felt very personal. And you know, I've heard I've heard people say uh, from all walks of life, once a New Yorker, always a New Yorker. Yeah, I I I love the city, and I you know I mean, I, I get there a few times a year to play and and to visit friends and. Uh, it, it it really you know it still does feel like home. Um, I do like I do like the fact though that I know I'm going to leave <laughs> in a week or two weeks or something. There's there's something about to being able to get, go there and and know where the restaurants are and know how to get around and you know to be a New Yorker, but but then to be able to you know sort of to know where the exit is. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to worry where your car is parked. Yeah. You don't have to worry. You know how many? If, if you remember to lock all ten locks on your apartment door and that sort of a thing, you know it's uh, <laughs> it's nice to it's nice to have uh, the best of both worlds. So, do, do the inhabitants of your town have any idea whatsoever that a major chart-topping musician lives in their midst? Well, I'm kind of yeah, I'm kind of a, a local boy made good. I, I uh, when my first uh, record came out and I was on all the TV shows, you know Leno and all that. There there was a lot of hoopla here because I, I had to. I had been a you know a local musician before I moved to New York, so yeah, people are very sweet here. People are very supportive, and and now I'm able to, because I'm kind of a big fish in a little pond, or at least you know I don't know how big a fish I am, but it's a small pond, so it's not too, you don't have to be too big. But uh, I uh, um, I'm able to you know use whatever sort of notoriety I have to to do charity events. I've got a thing uh, this. Coming Sunday at uh, um, uh, the 20th uh, that I do every year. It's the fourth annual Extreme Holiday Extravaganza that I produce and host, and it's a it's a big. Uh, we have this year. I think have 27 acts. It's a oh, wow. It's a it's like a kind of my own Ed Sullivan show, and and we raise funds we raise funds for a local uh, uh, homeless shelter, and uh, so it's nice to be able to. I mean, this, that's the kind of thing I wouldn't have really had the. The, the power or the ability to, to pull off in New York, but in, in Boise, Idaho, you know, I can I can do a lot of good with uh, sure. with with uh, you know my whatever my name seems to uh, seems to uh, draw, you know. So sure. I do that, and every every now and then I get involved in in the, um, uh, environmental causes and things like that as well. So it's a, it's it's nice. It's a good place to live, and uh, you know, I, I can uh, I can be on a ski hill in about 25 minutes. So it ain't bad. <laughs> So is it is it fair to assume that you grew up in a musical home? I mean, I I, I assume you must have, but, but that's just a that's just an educated guess. Well, it was just my mother and my younger brother and myself, and there was there certainly was always music playing. You know, we always, uh, um, I mean, in the car we were always singing along to the radio, and uh, um, you know, we always we always had something going on the stereo, an LP on the stereo. So yeah, it was definitely a musical home. My mom's a, my mom's a big music fan, and she's a rocker. You know, she's young enough. She's only 65, and so she was, you know, huge uh, wow. uh, Little Richard fan and Rolling Stones fan, and uh, so we, we we listened to a lot of a lot of cool music, and and 
therefore also she was open to you know my band my band's practicing in the basement you know I always, <laughs> she was a she was a saint you know she was able to to live through all the noise and uh, and and uh, actually sort of appreciate it so yeah lucky you when did you know that music was it for you as a career path i mean was it, was there a moment or was there just a general a general kind of realization that you know you were headed on this path well you know i started playing uh i started playing in the school band when i was in fifth grade playing clarinet and uh, i studied that all the way through school i started in the choirs in, in early high school and by the time i was done with the uh, uh, sort of finishing up high school, I just realized that was all I was doing. My senior year, I had five music classes and one <laughs> academic course because I had uh, I had gotten rid of all the you know I'd gotten all the uh, um, the, the prerequisites you know all the all the uh-huh. courses that I had to take uh, out of the way in, in summer school so that I could be, so I could be in the band and the jazz band and the choir and the jazz choir and and take music theory too. So by the time I was and then at night I was playing in. in Rock bands, you know. I was playing. I, I was a drummer, actually. I played played in like new wave cover bands and things like that. So uh, it was uh, music was basically my whole life by that point. And I realized, well, yeah, this is this is what I do. And and you know, I'd, I mean, I had other, I had and still have many other interests, but uh, it just seemed like this was this was who I was, and uh, and it re- remains who I am. So. <laughs> Absolutely, to to uh, your benefit and and a whole lot of other people too. Well, <laughs> so who who discovered you? What was your big break? Well, it, it it's it, it's it's more like a bunch of little breaks, you know. I mean, I the 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 thing that I did for myself was move to New York. I was 21 years old, and I I realized I needed to get out of out of Boise. I needed to go someplace where you know I could play. I mean, my my. My real goal was just to play with better and better musicians and just see what I could do, see how much I could grow. I didn't really know how a person got a record deal or, or that sort of a thing, and I didn't. I knew that I needed to get out. So I checked out a lot of cities. I checked out L.A. and San Francisco and Seattle, and uh, you know, I even thought about Austin. But there, there, there was this. Uh, uh, a friend of mine uh, was in the potato business, of course, in, in Idaho, and he was out. Uh, he was out in New York uh, for some meetings or something, and. And said, "Hey, you know, you should come out. I've got, you know, I've got a big hotel room. Just come out, crash on the couch, and uh, check out New York. You might as well at least have a look." And I'd never really thought about New York. I mean, New York to me was was Barney Miller or you know Kojak or something. It was that's that's that was as far as the New York uh, thing or West Side Story or something. So, wow. So I I flew out there and I fell in love. The first night I went out with uh, this friend and a friend of his who lived in New York, and we went down to Bleecker Street and. The village. We went into a club, and oh there um, was this really great blues band. And I thought I could play with them. Yeah, absolutely. I could get up there and play saxophone with them. <laughs> and then uh, near the end of the night, or near the end of the set, um, they they invited somebody up, and it was Rick Derringer, you know, the famous guitar player from, uh, you know, who sang rock and roll coochie coo. And I mean, you know, cool. and he he sat in with them, um, and and I thought, wow, so I could play with this band and maybe meet somebody that I've listened to on records all my life. I got to move here. And that was it. I just, you know, I it was just it was such a, an inspiring place. It's a small city, New York, and it just it it made sense for me. I knew where the music was happening and I knew that I could get involved in it. So so I moved I moved to New York and that was a that was that was the big thing. I mean, and from there it was just, you know, I struggled and I starved and I ate pizza to survive and I rode subways and every couple of weeks or every couple of months something kind of good would happen you know i'd get a i got a job working for a 
for a photographer so that you know that that allowed me to to make make enough money to to play my music and then I started you know sitting in with people and playing sax and and then I started stepping up and singing a song and then somebody saw me playing a gig and and put me in interview magazine just just took a picture of me nothing nothing big but that led to something else which led to something else and pretty soon I had uh, you know a really a, a great steady thing and I was writing songs and uh and uh, playing in this uh, club in New York City, playing mostly kind of a mixture of jazz and the, and my pop stuff, and nice, which is sort of what I do now anyway. You know, I mean, I, I, I definitely uh, I sort of create this music that is draws on rock and roll and 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 jazz and pop and soul and blues and everything else. Um, and so I was doing that, and and uh, a record company person saw me and and was kind of interested in me. And from there, I met a bunch of other record company people. And by the time I signed my record deal in in 1990 i had uh i had you know half a dozen record labels bidding for me so it was wow. uh, you know but it, it it never felt like bam this is my big break you know oh. it, it always felt like hey there's a little break let's do something with it you know i always felt you know i was always motivated to take advantage of of the little breaks that happened and uh and uh so you know i mean you, you certainly you, you get discovered but you need to uh you need to sort of take advantage of that and, and take the right step once you are discovered and, and think, well, maybe somebody who can even do better things for me might discover me because of this, you know. Absolutely. What, what's the old saying, lost preparation meeting opportunity? So. Yeah, yeah, and that is, it's true. You know, you really got to, I mean, you know, I was an overnight sensation that had been, that had been you know, working hard as a professional musician for about nine years. So. Yeah, <laughs> wow. You know, you know, my sense is that even though that first album produced a major smash called "I Wonder Why," that that Arista and perhaps pop music in general at that time was an uneasy fit for you. Is that fair or, or no? Yeah, I mean, I had a ball. I really, I really loved all of that. You know, I mean, I got to I got to ride on a tour bus all around the world. I got to open shows for Elton John and Eric Clapton and Prince and Joe Cocker. I mean, it was really cool. I, I, I you know, I played at Shea Stadium and Dodger Stadium. You know, I mean, it was. Some amazing things uh, happened to me. Um, you know, I got to go on the Tonight Show a bunch of times and Letterman and all that. It was a really cool time. But I found that so much of it was about the business and and not about the music. You know, uh -huh. and I was most happy when I was out there playing gigs, when I was out on the road, uh, on stage. Um, aside from that, you know, it, it it was a lot of kind of. I don't know. It just seemed a little bit phony, you know. It seemed a little bit fake. I mean, and and that's probably you know to my benefit, you know, that I knew that it was show business, that I knew uh -huh. that it wasn't real. But um, but it definitely uh, it definitely didn't really fit me all that well. You know, I didn't mind meeting Elton John. I mean, that was a pretty absolutely cool not. Thing. He was a child. You know, he was a, a hero of mine since oh. I was a kid. You know, and all these people. You know, I, I got to play with Elton John. I got to play with Bonnie Raitt. I got to you know, it was an amazing. Thing, but but when it when it when it came time to make my second record, um, I, I I ran afoul of the record company president Clive Davis, who you know is a, you know he's a, he's he's got a big ego and he wanted to tell me what kind of music to make and I wanted I wanted to continue to grow and change and so we really we went toe to toe and 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 uh, and didn't see eye to eye at all you know I mean he wanted me to do something that I didn't want to do and wanted me to do a lot of other people's songs and I was a songwriter so. So I, it took three years for my second record to come out, and by that point, it was 1995, and Absolutely. music had changed completely. I mean, radio, the, the, the radio stations that had played my music uh, in 1991 and 92 
we're now playing Alanis Morissette and um, and uh, um, you know uh, Pearl Jam and uh, Nirvana, which you know I, band you know groups that I loved. You know music. I really I I, I loved grunge and and you know alternative where alternative music took pop music. I thought it sort of kicked it in the butt and and uh, and kind of uh, you know made it rethink itself. And that that was that was a good thing. But but it. it there was no room for me anymore. Certainly not making these making middle of the road pop records. Plus, the record that I had made was this sort of strange. I mean, I, I had to make, I had to record a couple of songs that I didn't want to record because the bat, just the battle to get the record out with Claude Davis, you know, led to me finally saying, "Okay, what do you want me to do? Three years have gone by. Just let me put out my record." And so, you know, I. I I had to make a couple of compromises. So it was it was a it was a record that was uneven and I mean I, I love the album. I love Time Was, but there are just a couple of things on it that just didn't mean anything to me. And so uh, and I think by then the momentum of my of my hits from that first record they they just gone away. Um which which led me to where I am now. You know, now now you know I had to make some some really serious uh choices about who I was as an artist and what what I was going to do. And uh, it's uh, it's led me in a, in a really great direction. Now I now I play music for a living. Now you know I really I, I make records, but you know I, I make my living by selling tickets and and putting you know bums in seats and uh, and and I get to sing for people every night. It's a it's it's really what I'm about. Absolutely. You know that that was going to be one of my questions. Looking back, was the failure to connect of time was a blessing in disguise for you? And it sounds like it was absolutely. Yeah, it was. You know, it, it hurt at the time. You know, especially because it took so darn long to, to make the thing and to get that thing out. You know, um, uh, and and there were songs on that record that you know were really dear to me. I mean, "Keep Me from the Cold" I think is one of the best songs that I've I've written in my career. And uh, you know, it, it's it's a song that just never it just you know it never took off. Now you know, just the, what I've learned year you know years down the road is a song isn't as you know isn't uh, shouldn't be judged on whether it was a hit or not it should be judged on whether it's a good song and whether people you know i mean i sing that almost every night on even in my jazz shows because it it just it, it works it works Absolutely with a, a jazz quartet it works nicely and people love it people still love the song so you know that i've 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 come to terms with the, the idea that you know just because a song or or an album isn't a hit it doesn't mean it's not good it's it really it's it's by you know it's a hit uh, or it's good because uh, you know you can it, it moves people and and you can uh, you can make people happy or or sad with it you know depending on the type of song so you know you had a fantastic cover of of a great song called What's So Funny About Peace Love and Understanding from the Bodyguard soundtrack and yeah. you know it's so funny now how many people forget that there were actually other artists on that album besides just you know the Whitney hits. Well, it was certainly uh, the Bodyguard soundtrack was certainly a Whitney Houston. I mean, the the phenomenon that that caused it to sell thirty or however sure. million copies around the world, it was completely driven by Whitney Houston and, and sure, God love her. <laughs> I mean, it was a. I just happened to be on the same label. You know, I was on Arista. That record was being made just as my album was. My first album was was just soaring. You know, I had. Hit singles and 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 so I I basically was was offered a, a slot a, a, I was promised a spot on that record and I wrote a bunch of songs I kept trying to write a song that that Clive Davis would accept to go on that record and you think about it and it's like it didn't matter what songs went on that record as long as there were five or six Whitney Houston songs on there I mean I could have sung Mary Had a Little Lamb and yeah. it would have fit 
yep. just fine. But he was real. He just kept saying, "No, it's not right. It's not right." And then he heard me play. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Which I knew from an Elvis Costello, Elvis Costello's version of it. But it's actually a wonderful Nick Lowe song. Uh-huh. Nick Absolutely, another another hero of mine. And uh, and I just I would play that song. I've been playing that song for years. And it was the it was my set closer because my first album doesn't have a lot of you know big up tempo tunes. It's it's mid tempos and ballads and things like that. And I uh-huh. um, and so I did. I would always do that song at the end of my set as kind of a rhythm a sort of a rhythm and blues version, a, a rave up kind of soul version. And uh, he heard that actually uh, um, strangely enough at when I was playing at Shea Stadium opening for uh, uh, for. Uh, um, uh, Elton and Eric, Elton, John, and Eric Clapton at Shea Stadium. It's just a huge day, and he heard it and came back and said, "That's it, Curtis. That's the one." This is my Clive Davis impression, by the way. And uh, and so I recorded that uh, with my band. We just went in one day with Danny Korchmar, the producer, and, and just you know just popped out a basically a live version of, what, or I mean, a, a recorded version of what we'd been doing live, and it went on the record. And um, and then it just started selling and selling and selling and selling. It was it was amazing. Um, and uh, because of that, um, Nick Lowe is a friend of mine, as you might imagine, <laughs> because I, I, <laughs> I made do. him a lot of money, you know, I mean, just by... by Damn yeah, right you did. <laughs> he's, he's made, uh, you know, I'd say he's probably made well over a million dollars from that from that one song. And uh, wow. I, I get I get credit in, in Nick Lowe interviews all the time that, you know, I help to sort of rejuvenate his, his solo career, which I happen to be a huge fan of. I mean, I've been a fan of Nick since I was a kid as well, and... Uh, so anyway, I got a call from Nicolo one day saying, I just wanted to say thank you. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we've been friends ever since. So wow. That was a nice byproduct of it. And uh, um, I think he made a heck of a lot more money than I did, let's, uh, let's say that. Cause, uh, well. <laughs> all, that, all that money is, as, uh, the record business have some, has something called cross-collateralization. So um, I didn't... Uh, I didn't get nearly as much cash from that record as I as I probably should have, but uh, but I've got a house and uh, I've got, I, I get to hang out with Nick Lowe when I go to England. So so it all works. It all, it all works out. It all comes it out in one. It seems to have come, come <laughs> out all right, I guess. Talk about the decision to to move away from pop and toward jazz. How did that How did that come about? Well, I made one more um, uh, pop record, you know, in in quotation marks, pop record um, in '99. I made I made. I made the first record in 90, or the first record came out in 91, then Time Was came out in 95, and then I I struggled for a while to get off of Arista, and that sort of, that tied me up for a couple of years. Finally, I, I was able to get away from Arista, and I signed with Columbia Records, and I made, I made one more pop record, and it's called Brighter Days, and it was, it was really, I, I'm very proud of that record. Um, it was the, the sort of singer-songwriter, more, more, uh, I don't know, uh, organic, uh, Real live sounding uh, record that I was I was always trying to get you know to make when I was making time was and Clive wouldn't let me um, so I made this record that I loved I was really happy with the songs proud of them proud of the songs that I wrote for it and uh, um, it sold about eight copies um, <laughs> on Columbia just you know everything went wrong um, as far as the marketing of it you know just people getting fired people quitting at the wrong time and wow. and so that was for me that was kind of the end I just thought you know. This isn't this you know waiting you know all this time for a record to come out and then because the single didn't get played on the radio in the first three weeks the record is a failure that that just to me that just seemed like such a shame you know it was an album that meant so much to me and it just 
it tanked, um, and I wasn't able to really tour because of it. Um, you know, because of that, you know, I couldn't go out and tour because there just wasn't there wasn't interest because I didn't have a hit record. And I and I have played jazz since I was a kid. I grew up playing jazz. I I really, you know, I'm I'm a much better jazz singer than I am a pop singer. I think, and and I had been doing these gigs. Um, all all during my pop career, uh, I continued to do these kind of quiet little gig jazz gigs and uh, kept up my chops and kept up my interest in it and and I um, so I just I made a jazz record and uh, and I sold it to uh, to Concord Records and I started uh, I just basically started over I just decided to reinvent myself the same way that I tried to reinvent myself when I made Brighter Days that that more singer songwriter record but it didn't you know so I've kind of I've kind of done it a few times I've kind of um, you know, sort of re- rewritten my story um, to fit how I feel, you know, today, uh, you know, or, or, you know, on that particular day. I mean, I, I have a lot of interest in music, and, uh, um, and and so I, I made this jazz record, and it, I got I got some nice reviews, and I got some nice response, and I got to start playing live again, uh, and it felt great. And then I made another record, and I I started um, kind of dabbling in the idea of taking modern pop songs that I loved, you know, modern cover songs like Elvis Costello songs and Nick Lowe songs and uh, Steve Earle songs um, and uh, uh, Kinks songs and Beatles songs and John Lennon songs and, and turning them into to, to jazz tunes, the, you know, the, the same way that old old jazz singers and old jazz musicians, I mean, Miles Davis, I mean, what did he do? He took, he took pop songs of his day and he turned them into jazz tunes. Same with Ella Fitzgerald, same with Louis Armstrong, with John Coltrane. They all did that. So, that that's what I started doing, and, and now it's you know it's nine years later. I've made six jazz records um, that that have a lot of rock and roll and soul and country and and folk in them, but they're you know they're jazz records, and uh, it, it it works for me. It feels good. It feels like me. Um, I meet my fans. I go out after the go out after the shows and sign CDs, and uh, it feels more like a I don't know like a real job. You know, like you know something. <laughs> I don't know. It just feels like I'm, you know, I am, you know, I, I'm, I'm like the people that I play music for. I, I know them and I, I understand them to a degree, and uh, you know, it, it, it seems to be a little bit healthier relationship with them. Well, you know, the crazy irony is that the music you're doing now, which is clearly labeled as jazz, isn't really when you when you boil it down to its barest essence, it's not a hell of a lot different than the music you were making back in the day when you first established your name i mean it's 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 romantic beautiful melodic music that you can sing walking down the street it just happens to have a little bit different um instrumentation you know it's not quite as big and it's not quite as thick and it's not quite as overproduced but you know it that's 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 what i like i mean i'd much rather go hear somebody play their guitar and sing their songs than go hear them with a big band you know in in an arena you know i'd I'd love to go you know go to a little club and hear somebody just Sing their songs, and uh, so yeah, it it, it it is it isn't that far flung. And I still play. I wonder why. And you're all that matters to me. And uh, keep me from the cold every night. You know, I played those songs because, luckily, they're my songs. I wrote them, and they're my babies. So you know, I mean, I'm, I'm able to play my hits and and uh-huh. and still love them. But they also, you know, I've the same way I've taken a Bob Dylan tune or an Elvis Costello song and and pulled it apart and put it back together as a you know in big air quotes again as a jazz tune i've done the same thing with i wonder why and you're all that matters to me and uh you know so i have different versions of them but they still you know 
people, as long as they get to hear those hits, you know, uh-huh. the people that loved me from the, you know, from from my first record, they'll they'll go along with me and and take, you know, go down that that path, follow me on this journey that I'm on, um, you know, sort of making these modern jazz records. So, anyway, it's a, it, it it's working so far. I actually, you know, I actually make a living doing what I love to do. It's a shocking, a shocking thing. Does it make you and your peers crazy sometimes that the I don't know, the commercial leg of your business literally literally insists that all music must fit into neat categories. Does that just drive you mad? Yeah, it, 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 it's a shame. Um, but um, what are you going to do? I mean, the, 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 I think the, we're sort of getting our, our revenge, we, we, we folks that are on the fringe, because the fringe is really the part of the business that, that is actually still left. You know, I mean, <laughs> the fact that you know, I mean, the fact that the record business is tanking, you know, is really hard on Janet Jackson. It's really hard on, um, you know, on, on big pop stars because they're used to selling millions of records. And now they're selling, let's say, hundreds of thousands of records. Um, I'm still selling the same amount of records. I, it was, I, ne- I always sold a very small number of records. I'm, I'm basically selling the same number of records now that I did. Um, before the record business tanked, so uh, because I make a living, you know, again as a live musician, and uh-huh. so and, and those those of us that have just been out there slugging it out and plugging along and doing our thing and and uh, you know taking care of our fans and you know playing playing music for people uh, live, we're still doing that. You know, people are still coming out. I mean, the business is down a little bit. It's you know the live business is down say twenty thirty percent, but it's still totally doable. It's still you know, I still go to England and Germany and Denmark and 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 do you know month-long tours um, and and play for you know thousands of people. So it's a it, it's 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 fine. And as far as the you know the, the being being upset about the categorization of music and all that, that's why the record business has died. Is because they've they've categorized themselves into a hole. They've absolutely they've just they've not been. They've, they've not been thinking about music. They've been thinking about numbers and and um, you know focus groups and uh, and and you know uh, it, it just they, they they guys in suits and ties took over the record business and killed it basically. You know it's not about you know the people who run the business uh, aren't people who got into the music business because they loved music anymore. It's it's because they they know how to fire people and how to crunch numbers and. And, and keep the stockholders happy. Wow. So talk about Lost in Dreams. Talk about your 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 newest album. Well, I'm uh, I'm really proud of this record. It, it's it, I mean it's it's a long. A lot of it. I, I've 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 been following this trajectory and and uh, 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 with my last several records and this is uh, um, you know I think the the best. Uh, the best realized version of what I'm after. I mean, I like the idea of taking modern pop tunes and old standards and original tunes and putting them all together on the same record with this with with the same band and sort of and making them mix. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that My Funny Valentine can sit right next to Jealous Guy by John Lennon and work and make sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Um, and so that's, you know, that's, this, this record is just basically songs that I adore, songs that I love, whether they're, you know, whether it's My Funny Valentine or, or uh, um, we sm- the, In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning, which are, you know, pretty overdone um, uh, standards. Um, and frankly, I kind of set out to do that. I mean, I've been fighting the idea of being the jazz singer that sings the same old standards over and over. And that's why that's why I was sort of drawn to doing, you know, Kinks tunes and, and Merle Haggard tunes as jazz uh-huh. tunes because I wanted to be, I wanted to sort of create my own niche. And I've done that with my last records, but I, on this record, I actually set out to make an album of all standards, of all old really overdone super popular standards just almost as a as an answer to the people that kept saying to me oh gosh we just wish you'd do more standards and it's like all right well here here's the most hackneyed overdone over recorded standards you've ever heard um and i i you know i got i i did that with four with three or four or five songs on this record but then i i realized that there was a ron sexsmith song that i really wanted to do he's a he's a great modern uh, singer songwriter from canada and and i really have always wanted to cut cold by annie lennox absolutely and uh that's and, the one i wanted to ask you about yeah that that's a, that's a gorgeous song and and it, i mean i think that's a that's a modern standard i think that's a song that should should be considered just as amazing as as any song from the great american songbook i think that uh, Annie Lennox is a, is a brilliant songwriter, and, and it's just such a such a heartbreaking. Um, I mean, that's a love song, Cold, but it's a dark love song. You know, I mean, it's a, it's clearly about marriage, and I, I something I know about. I've been married 20 years, and I've been through ups and downs, and um, you know that the, the the last line of that bridge tells it all. It's, she says, uh, um, "The more I want you, the less I get. Ain't that just the way things are?" and uh, Boy, it just it, every time I sing that line, it gives me chills. It really, it really hits home. Uh, you know, unfortunately. <laughs> so, you know, as, as as an artist and a songwriter, was a part of you absolutely mortified to think of covering one of the greatest singers in the history of the world? I mean, you know, we're talking about the Annie Lennox here. Yeah, it's she's she's great. I mean, um, I I thought of it as singing a song by a great songwriter first. And I think she would appreciate that. Um, you know that. Uh, I mean, you, you can never, you can never sort of touch. I mean, the, the same could be said about "In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning," the last song on the record. That's that is absolutely a Frank Sinatra sig- signature piece. You know, and uh, it's one of those songs that uh, if I didn't, if I didn't have a pretty healthy ego, and also if I didn't have the knowledge that I'm able to take a song and do it in my own way and not try to copy. Uh, you know, another singer, um, I, I, pr- I probably wouldn't have done it. But, uh, um, you know, the idea for me is to take these songs and to sing them as though I wrote them, you know, to, to take them and sing them in such an original way and such to find a new way to, to you know, to sing them and to and to uh, um, to get to the to a story and the lyric, you know, um, that that's my goal and i think i you know i've been able to do that with with these songs i just don't see any reason to do a karaoke version you know where you just sort of do the same backing sound and then and then just sing over the top of it so um it, it's it's daunting to cover songs that have been sung by by great singers like annie lennox or sinatra or or uh, or john lennon but uh, at the same time uh, you know if i can just uh, find a way to put my own personal stamp on it it's it's not a problem you know, you did a stirring take on on a Randy Newman song called "I Think It's Gonna Rain Today" a, a few years back, and 
you know, we talk about analytics, we talked about peace, love, and understanding. Uh, you did a great take on Paul Simon's American Tune a few years back. Uh, you know, we music fans, we all have our songs that we, you know, I mean, I hear, I hear Brenda Russell sing Piano in the Dark. I hear Orlita Adams sing Get Here. I hear you sing Keep Me From the Cold. And I just think, you know, I don't ever want to hear anybody sing this after this. <laughs> are there any songs that are, that are sacrosanct for you that you would just never fathom touching? Well, as I get older, it gets less scary. I mean, there are, I mean, there are, um, I mean, I, I think I probably thought that about we in the wee small hours before I sang it. But once I started singing it, I realized, oh God, this is just such a great song to sing. It's so nice. I'm trying to think if there are any. I mean, uh, Frank Sinatra always comes to mind. Uh, um, I probably wouldn't wouldn't get around to recording one for my baby by Frank Sinatra. You know? <laughs> I just just one of those things. I except that I just sang it live in England uh, a couple of months ago, uh, a month ago actually. Uh, for a radio show, and God, wasn't that fun to sing? You know, so that those things all those things keep seeming to fall. Um, wow. I, 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 you know, the, but yeah, there, there are certainly songs that I mean, like um, I also covered a, a Tom Waits song. I've, I've done a couple of Tom Waits songs, but I did, I did a song called San Diego Serenade, and it took me years to have the guts to record that because I just, it's. You know, he's not only is he such a hero of mine, but he's he's a hero to so many people that you know you have to be really careful that you don't uh, that you don't tick off their fans. You know, so it's a it's a, it's something you have to tiptoe through, and you have to you really have to uh, sort of take the songs and, and make them uh, sound like your song. You know, again, that's that's what I did with with American Tune by Paul Simon, and it seemed like the time to do it. You know, it was sort of the 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 second Bush uh, uh, Bush term and and the, the 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 country and the world was in such a dark state. Everyone was so depressed, and it just seemed like, wow, this song is new again. You know, it was written during the Vietnam War, but all of a sudden, here we are again. And uh, so, uh, I, I just you know I sing songs that I love, and uh, and if sometimes they're a little bit they're they're they've been done by somebody who's better than me, then I just try to make it different if not if i can't make it better i just make it different <laughs> you know it's funny you mentioned tom waits because he's one of those songwriters whose whose music almost invites you know someone else to come in and and and, and give a different take on it you know i mean tom waits is great but he's got that very gruff you know very kind of non-melodic sense about his voice and and if you listen to he can almost um he, he almost buries the, the the beauty in his songs i mean which I, I i actually admire quite a bit that he's able to he can write the sweetest most beautiful heartbreaking song and then like this and you can barely tell you can barely tell that you know that it was this beautiful sweet sappy song and that um so yeah getting to the bottom of 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 the beauty of of tom waits songs that's that's a really fun thing because sometimes Absolutely. You, just, you can't find it and if you hear, I mean, if you listen to to people like Rod Stewart doing Downtown Train, or oh, yeah. you know Natalie Merchant doing I Hope I Don't Fall in Love with You, I mean, you know, his he's one of those songwriters, kind of like kind of like Joni Mitchell, kind of like Nancy Griffith, you know, kind of like Randy Newman in a way, whose songs kind of invite other people to come in and and you know give a shot at it. Well, when you're that good, and you just named four amazing songwriters, when you're that good, you're going to be covered. And uh, you know, John Prine is another one that. Uh, Damn right. People have covered, you know, and, and I could, you know, I could name uh, Willie Nelson as somebody else, you know, that I absolutely adore and admire. You know, just a brilliant songwriter and very, um, I don't know, very uh, not a beautiful singer, but a, a singer that that you know 
tells a story. And, and I mean, I, I happen to really love songwriters, or I mean, singers that that don't necessarily sing beautifully, but but are great singers. Like Bob mm-hmm. Dylan, I think, is can be a fantastic singer. But he's got a crazy voice. It's, he doesn't have a Pavarotti voice, you know. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't sing like Whitney Houston. He sings yeah. like Bob Dylan. But he tells a story, you know. And the same with same with Tom. Same with Randy Newman. You know, these are these are very idiosyncratic, uh, iconoclastic kind of voices. But they, yeah. you know, they they tend to be my favorite singers. The ones that aren't beautiful singers. Steve Earle is another one whose whose voice I, you know, I just I love. I hear it, and it just it it sticks to me like oatmeal. You know. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but but you know he's, he's not a great singer he's not, he's uh, he's uh, or he doesn't have a great voice but he's a great singer and so anyway I like that. So considering how everything is shaking out for you in your career, do you have any regrets about the early the early pop part of your career, quote unquote? Um, I wish I'd have dated more supermodels, but you know other than <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's a good joke. <laughs> Um, I, you know, no, I, I, you know, I mean, it was hard. I, I went through some really painful times, you know, dealing with the record company and, and not getting to play live for so long and do, you know, all these things. But, but I came out on the other end, you know, with a music career that I adore. You know, I, I do what I want to do now and I, I produce my own records and I pick the songs and I hire the musicians and, you know, I'm, I'm running the show and that, so it, it led to the right place, you know, and I, I make a, I make a living that uh, you know I, I don't I don't I don't you know live like uh, like a, a superstar but I have a, I, you know I have a house and a, and a family that I can support and I get to do the things I want to do I get to mountain bike and ski when I want to and I get to tour when I want to and I've met a bunch of my heroes so it's a it's a good thing, you know it's and and it was a you know life is a lesson and it's a it's a journey that you got to you got to go on wherever it takes you so um, you know, there, there, there's certainly things I could have done differently, but uh, I wouldn't be here, would I? Absolutely not. And you know, I, 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 you're one of those guys who, at least from the outside, it seemingly, you, you take all of your experiences and you funnel them into your music. And so, you know, I mean, you, you, it's almost like your music, your, your record's almost like hieroglyphics in a way. I mean, you can, you can see the story in the songs. Yeah. Well, that's that's nice. I appreciate that. I mean, I. I sort of I end up not really knowing what the record is going to be like until it's done. I mean, usually I figure out what the album's theme is as I'm trying to figure out what the order of the songs is going to be on the album after it's recorded. I mean, I I I, I definitely um it's it's I make these records by instinct and uh, um that's that's how I've always been as a musician and that's how I am as a recording artist. So when I'm trying to figure out what what order the songs are going to be in, and what the name of the, the album is going to be. That's when I usually figure out, oh wow, this is going on in my life, and this is what the album is about. I, I didn't even realize it. It just it just sort of happened that way, and uh, that's pretty exciting, you know. I mean, it's it's always every album is a discovery, and it's you know it's a, it's a, a self discovery as much as it is about you know a discovery of what the music is about. Sure. So what's on the horizon for Curtis Tigers? What's coming down the pike? Well, um, I got to pick up my little girl from school in a while. <laughs> that, that's that's how far I'm looking ahead. You know, I've, um, gotcha. I'm I'm off the road for for a, a couple of months this winter. It's ski season, and my daughter's in school, and I like to be home with her during school. Um, I'm always, uh, you know, I, that said, I'm always on the road. I've got you know tours, little tours lined up for, in Europe. Uh, in the spring and late late winter and and uh, 
Um, and then I'm, you know, I'm starting to write some songs. But, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the next record is. It, it could be, a, you know, an orchestral record singing beautiful old standards. It could be a solo acoustic record. I could, you know, I mean, I, I've been writing a lot of songs that sound like, uh, you know, like John Prine songs and Steve Earle songs, only not as good. Um, you know, so maybe maybe I do that. Who knows? I mean, I, 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 I'm, I, I kind of confound uh, or at least uh, confuse music critics and record company executives and managers and things because I, I just never... I, I'm not interested in just doing the same thing over and over again. So we'll see. Um, you'll be you'll be one of the first to know, I would imagine. When, when the next record comes out, you can uh, you can tell me what I'm doing. I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm just going by instinct. Well, I absolutely look forward to that, and I want to tell everybody listening to this that you can pick up uh, Lost in Dreams in all the major stores at iTunes, at Amazon. There's actually an Amazon link to uh, the Lost in Dreams page on my website right now. So oh, great. everybody can check that out, and, and by all means, check out the rest of this man's amazing discography. He's got some amazing records out there. Yeah, you can go to curtisteigers.com, too. Absolutely, absolutely. But thank you so much for all your time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for putting up with all of my scheduling quirks, and, and I'm glad we finally got a chance to connect and do this. And, and I, I want you to know that you're welcome here anytime. Please come back. All right, cool, cool. Well, stay in touch, and uh, next time I have something to... To uh, to uh, get out there in the public, I'll we'll, we'll, we'll connect and do it again. Thanks, man. Fantastic, thank you. Hey, before I let you go, could I get you to do a promo for my show? Sure. As long as it includes the words Curtis Steigers and Brandon's Buzz, anything else you say is totally up to you. Brandon's Buzz. Okay, here we go. Hi, this is Curtis Steigers, and you are listening to Brandon's Buzz. Enjoy. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so 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 much. Thanks, Brandon. Good to talk to you. Talk to you again. <laughs> Same here. Likewise. The fantastic Curtis Tigers, everybody, on Brandon's Buzz. Brandon's Buzz in the can for December 15th, 2009. Come on back next week, uh, December 22nd, 2009, 10 p.m. It's a Tuesday night. Uh, I'm going to have a great conversation with a great guy named Anthony D. Langford. He is a columnist for AfterElton.com. We're going to talk about the big gay year in soaps. We're going to talk all about his life and what he does. I think he's an amazing columnist. He's a great writer. And, uh, you know, he's got thousands and thousands of readers all across the country, all across the world. And, you know, they're, they're, very, they're all fascinated by him and what he does. And so we're going to talk about him. We're going to talk about his column. We're going to talk about uh, uh, One Life to Live. We're going to talk about, you know, all the, so- all the big gay happenings on the soaps this year. It's been, a, it's been a big year for us, for our community, in soaps this year. And we're going to talk all about it with Anthony Langford next Tuesday night, December 22, 2009, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Come on back to that. Uh, you can find me in a multitude of places. The biggest place, the most, uh, uh, the primary place is blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. That's kind of mission control for Brandon's Buzz. From there, you can listen to the show. You can download old shows. You can leave comments. You can send emails. You can see what's been on the show, what is on the show, what's coming on the show. Again, that's mission control for Brandon's Buzz, blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. You can also find me at my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. There at the top of the page, uh, click on the blue radio button. That will take you to a full radio archive of Brandon's Buzz. This is episode number 47. Uh, all 47 episodes are up there. You can just you can click on each date, and that will take you to a page where you can see the banners that my pal Joanne makes to help me advertise the show, and you can listen to the corresponding show. Uh, so that's on my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. I'm on iTunes. I'm right next to Curtis Steigers on iTunes. Just type in Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes Music Store search box. Scroll down to the podcast section, uh, click on my logo. From there, you can download individual old shows as podcasts. 
uh, for listening on the device of your choosing, or you can subscribe to the show and have new episodes automatically download to your library the minute they're uploaded to the music store. So uh, I'm all over the place. Google the words Brandon's Buzz. I'm on Twitter. I'm on iTunes. I'm on Facebook. I'm everywhere. Just Google Brandon's Buzz, and something will pop up that points you in my direction, and I appreciate you coming in my direction. I appreciate you finding me and listening to me, and I hope you continue finding and listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, everybody out there. This is Eileen Kristen, and I have just been on Brandon's Buzz. This is a great show and a very sophisticated mind. So spread the word, Brandon's Buzz. This is Claire Massey from Tammy Show, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Great guy, great show. Check it out. Hey, guys, this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So if you feel that you just can't take it, and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it. Baby, when you live on a street of dreams. Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon Buzz, the place to be. Hi, everybody. This is Nicholas Walker. Merci à vous tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir et à très bientôt. <laughs> 